welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Listen again for the word of the Lord. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. If you were with us last week, you know that we celebrated the visit of the Magi. The Magi who traveled from far away to see Jesus, bringing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we said those gifts were symbolic of who Jesus would become, the king over all, worshiped by all, the savior of all. Last week, Jesus was a baby being showered with gifts. And this week, Jesus is a full-grown adult. And you might be wondering if we skipped pages of our Bible to get here, but we didn't. The Bible simply doesn't say much about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. It seems like a glaring oversight to me. If Jesus' life were a Hollywood movie, we'd see a montage, wouldn't we? Jesus learning to walk, taking those first steps, and dare I suggest it, even falling down? We might see Jesus on his first day of school waving goodbye to his parents, maybe even a little sad to see them go. We might see Jesus laid up in bed with chicken pots because you know it was still around back then. We might see Jesus a little bit older now, hanging out with friends, maybe hanging out with that special someone. And what about his divine power? Surely in this montage we would see Jesus learning to harness the the power of God that flows through his veins. But we don't get stories like that in our Bible. The only story we do get is a brief episode in the Gospel of Luke, chapter two, where Jesus goes to Jerusalem with his parents and gets lost in the big city. After three days of being lost, and maybe that three is significant, after three days, the parents finally find Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, all by himself in that big city. Now, where do you think they found him? I can imagine endless possibilities for where Jesus might have ended up in that city. A 12-year-old at this church might well end up down at the square, blowing their allowance on rocket fizz candy. But where does Jesus end up? 
Luke's gospel says his parents found him at the temple. So of course they couldn't get mad at him then. It's a charming story, it's a lovely story. It's not a very helpful story though, not if you're a teenager. Where is that Jesus? Where is Jesus the teenager? Jesus dealing with his voice changing and acne? Where's Jesus the, the young adult making those questionable decisions? getting bad haircuts and making worse fashion mistakes. I wanna see that Jesus. I wanna see that more human side of Jesus. And if you feel like that too, just know we're not alone. The gospels may be silent about Jesus' younger years, but Christians have long filled in those blanks. As early as 200 AD, people started writing their own versions of what Jesus' childhood must have been like. And some of the stories are heartwarming. Like the time Jesus made some clay birds and then he clapped his hands and they came to life and flew away. Because that's what happens when you have the breath of life in you. Or the time that his dad Joseph, who was a carpenter, cut a piece of wood too short. Has anyone ever cut a piece of wood too short? If you have, you know you can't fix that mistake very easily unless your son is Jesus and Jesus lays his hands on the short piece of wood and stretches it out to size. These are nice stories. These are pleasant stories. Not all the stories that Christians came up with were so pleasant. Some of them talked about Jesus making mistakes, Jesus having misfires of his heavenly power. In one, a kid ran into Jesus and knocked him over, and Jesus cursed the kid, which isn't a very nice thing to do. But if you Jesus, it's a dangerous thing to do because in the story, the, the kid died. So to be clear, these stories were created by Christians as a way of trying to understand who is this Jesus, this human Jesus. They're not terribly useful at telling us about Jesus, but I do think they're useful about telling us about ourselves. Because what we find in, this stories, in these stories are our own faults, our own flaws. We are people who are spiteful and stubborn. We say hurtful things. We act in ways we shouldn't. We, we can't imagine how Jesus would handle his power without imagining all the ways he could abuse it. Because that's what we do. We do the wrong thing, sometimes intentionally. Christians mess up. Pastors mess up. See, Jesus might have dodged having his embarrassing childhood stories written down, but I didn't. I have embarrassing childhood stories. My parents would love to share them to you. I have experienced those cringy teenage years. I made some questionable decisions as a young adult. Unlike Jesus, I grew up in the age of Facebook, and when it's on Facebook, it's forever. There are years of my life I wish I could just do over. There are mistakes I made when I was 10, 20, 30, 40 that still pop up and gnaw at me often in the middle of the night. Shame and regret are heavy burdens to bear, aren't they? Sometimes we relive our great regrets like a, a, a hit playlist over and over and over. Maybe we do it as a form of self-punishment. Maybe we do it as a way to make sure we don't make that mistake again. But whatever our reasoning, the result is the same. When we play that tape 
in our minds, we start to become defined by our sin. So if that's where you are this morning, take heart, take heart. Our gospel says there is another way to live. In our New Testament lesson today, we read that the crowds flock to the Jordan River for this very reason, to lay down the heavy burdens that they had been carrying around, to repent of their sin and to be made new. What John was offering is known in Jewish circles as a mikvah, a ritual bath, the outward cleansing that signified an inward transformation. So people are coming to John, repenting of their sin and being made clean. We read that on this same day, Jesus was there among the crowd and Jesus steps up to be baptized too. Does that feel wrong to you? Have you ever wondered why Jesus needed to be baptized? Everyone else is showing up for the repentance of sin. Surely Jesus doesn't need to repent of any sin, does he? Well, in Matthew's gospel, John the Baptist even seems a little confused about it. Jesus steps up to be baptized and John says, I can't possibly baptize you, Jesus. And Jesus says, man, just do it. He doesn't say why. But in, in true to his character, what we see is Jesus take an ordinary thing, an ordinary ritual, and transform it. It's not the first he'll transform, it won't be the last. John immerses Jesus in the water, and then we see something extraordinary happen, something new happen, because Jesus receives a second baptism, not by John, but from God. We read that heaven rips apart, the Spirit of God descends, and a voice proclaims, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. The first baptism is about human repentance, human commitment. This second baptism is about God's claim. Now, different churches think about baptism in different ways, and I want to say here, the Bible is not of one voice about how it talks about baptism. Even in this story, we have two types of baptism at play. But here in the Presbyterian Church, when we celebrate baptism, we celebrate it first and foremost as a sign of God's claim on us. That's why we baptize infants, because it's not about the infant making a commitment. Surely they can't. It's about us affirming God's commitment to that child. It's also why Presbyterians only baptize once, because when God claims us, that claim stands forever. That's why baptism shows up in our funeral services. At a funeral at this church, you might hear the line, we thank you, Lord God, for your beloved servant whose baptism is now complete in death. If you've ever heard that line, you might have wondered what it means. It means that God claims us in baptism and God receives us back at death. I've been thinking about those words this week because this week a woman from my home church, the church I grew up in, the church I was baptized in, a woman from that church moved into hospice. And she's not just someone from the church. She's a longtime friend of my family's. 
She's known me since I was born. She used to drive me to school as part of our carpool. She used to chaperone church youth trips. She taught me how to play the handbells, and then she dragged our tiny handbell choir all around middle Georgia to play for nursing homes and prisons. She believed that as Christians, we were called to share our gifts with the world, and if by our music we could bring hope to the hopeless, then by God's grace, we were going to do it. Her faith shaped mine in big ways, in small ways, in ways I can't even appreciate yet. And it's one reason I'm so inspired by the way this congregation takes its gifts out into the community. She valued that. And she made me value that. And now this wonderful, faithful, larger-than-life woman is dying. So I've been holding on to those words this week. We thank you, Lord God, for your beloved servant, Miss Jean, whose baptism is now complete in death. See, baptism isn't just for babies. It's for you and it's for me. And it's for us our whole lives long. That's the power of it. Even death itself cannot break God's claim on us. We can't lose our baptism. We can't break that claim, but we can move away from God, right? Sometimes we do, sometimes we move away, we turn away, we forget. And if you've forgotten who you are and whose you are, then this Sunday is especially for you. Because as we begin this new year, we have an opportunity to remember let us remember. Let us remember how God reaches out for us long before we can reach out for him. Let us remember that our identity is not found in the things of this world. It's found in God who calls us his beloved children. Let us remember this morning and receive his grace anew through the reaffirmation of our baptisms. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body with Christ, in one spirit we were baptized into one body. We are not, no more Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female. We are baptized into one body and we are all made to drink of one spirit. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.